Welcome to the Etymology Podcast. I'm Grant, etymology enthusiast. Etymology to a lot of people, I think, seems pretty dry and boring and just uh, has no use in your daily life. But to me, why I like it at least, is that it gives you the history of a word, obviously, but also why we say what we say. The thing about languages is you don't have complete control over it. It's sort of a cultural hand-me-down from your parents and then before them grandparents, but even going all the way back to uh, Saxons and Utes in the early in the early AD. So why I like etymology is the struggle of explaining the modern world in terms that were necessarily created for a different time. If you've ever come across a word or a term and wondered why do we say that, well you can thanks to etymology, go back and figure out exactly why. I think it does give you a better sense of uh, kind of the politics behind a word. And the funny thing is there's a lot of trends that repeat across languages in the modern time and throughout time, and that's something we're going to talk about today with extra, from the outside to the strange and foreign. So there's this word extra, and I should point out right away that there are two different forms. There's a single word in itself, extra, which means spare, additional, or uh, I like this word, supernumerary. But then there's also the prefix, so that means it's it goes at the beginning of a word. Prefixes are, for example, pre, as in the word prefix itself, un, dis, and re. You get the idea. Alright, so we got extra also as a prefix, we've established that. And here it means something a little different. So we have extramarital, extrajudicial, extracurricular. Are these related? Yes, actually. So let's start at the start. And to do that, we have to go all the way back to Latin. Now the Romans had this word, I'm going to try to do my best Latin accent, exter. And it was an adjective that meant outer or outside, but in an adjectival sense. So there was another word, pars which meant part, is where we get our word part. And if you put those together, giving extra parte, that meant from the outside part. And this short little phrase, over time, became a preposition in its own right. Uh, prepositions, things in English like in, at, from, with, etc. And then as usually happens with phrases or words, we tend to streamline them. So you don't need to say extra parte. You can drop the parte part altogether, and even the e in extra, which leaves us with extra, a little closer to something we might recognize. I mean, there's a trilled r in there, but basically that's extra. Now, starting in the 1600s and continuing through today, various people, writers, mystics, theologians, doctors, lawyers, judges, psychologists, found this tiny little piece of a word to be quite handy in describing anything that is literally or figuratively outside. So we have extraverted. Verted means turned. So if you are an extrovert, your personality is turned towards the outside. Extrasensory, that which lies beyond the senses. Extrajudicial, something that is outside of the reach of, of a jury, of a judge, of, of the law. And an extramarital affair is an affair that happens outside of marriage extraterrestrial, something that comes from beyond the ter, meaning the earth, and extracurricular, something that comes 
from outside of the curriculum. And then we also have extravagance and extrapolate, those not being as obvious because the, the emphasis is actually on the A there. And last but not least, extraordinary. Now let's take these one at a time, but not all of them. Each one could have its own podcast, but some. Extrapolate was created on analogy with interpolate, while extravagant comes from this word extra, plus the Latin word vagari, meaning to wander. So that anything that was extravagant was figuratively wandering beyond or wandering outside. The first instance is in 14th century medieval Latin, where it was supposedly used to refer to the Pope's uncodified decrees. I guess because they were wandering or roving outside of the usual bounds of the church. From there, the sense shifted to mean extreme, or beyond limits, and then to wasteful, as in spending extravagantly, spending beyond your means, beyond the limits. Makes sense. Interestingly enough, the form of extra we recognize today is recorded only in a single word in the original Latin, extraordinarius, whence modern extraordinary, which gave us our usual use of the word of spare, additional, more than necessary, in its original sense, Extraordinary meant outside of the ordinary, as you could probably guess. And then from there, it's only a hop, skip, and a jump to the meaning of awesome or impressive. The idea being that something that's over the top stands out among ordinary things. Funny enough, we now have in English two adjectives that if you break them down etymologically, mean the exact same thing. One of completely Latin origin, the other of a mix of English and Latin. These words are extraordinary, as we've said, and out of the ordinary. I say that this last one's a mix because order and ordinary come from Latin. That's for another time. Right, so getting back to extra. In the mid-17th century, speakers of English shortened this long word down to just the first two syllables, extra. In this sense, the first meaning was of an extra in a play, then a special edition of a newspaper, then its modern sense of just anything that is spare or supplementary in general. And then in a few places, we can add this onto the front of another adjective to make it a little extra. It's an adverb, so like extra special means super special or uber special. Let me take you down this rabbit hole for a minute. We've established that extra was originally a preposition that expressed a location in space, outside. The two alternate examples I've just listed, super and uba, are also prepositions of location in their original languages. Super, super, is Latin, and German, über. But, and get this, they mean above or over. The sense here being, once again, that of superior. This shows a general trend in languages of mapping physical location and some sort of moral scale or a scale of quality. So anything that is beyond or above equals better. This is, just seems to be part of human psychology, a cut above the rest, or beyond expectations. Getting back to extra, besides its other forms, the Romans also turned this word into another adjective by adding the suffix neus, N-E-U-S. Now this eventually gave us the word extraneous, but it meant anything that came from without, and was thus by extension weird, bizarre, or strange but also foreign. It is this last sense that has been maintained across the Romance languages, that is, the languages that descended from Latin, French, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, Catalan, there are many more. 
over history and across continents, the word changed and mutated, giving us Spanish, extraño, Catalan and Portuguese, estran and estraño, respectively. Italian got rid of the E altogether, just leaving us with strano, while French deleted both the S and K sounds, yielding étrange. In the 13th century, however, English adopted the old French version of this word, estrange, keeping the S but dropping the E, and this is where we get the English word strange, and that originally meant foreigner, and then just any person who is unknown, as in the modern-day stranger. Interestingly enough, two centuries later, we reborrowed this old term again, but kept the E this time, who knows why, giving us a strange, meaning to alienate or treat as a stranger. But that's not all, there's even more to this little word, and I'm going to have to teach you a little bit of grammar. Now since it is an adjective, that means it can transform itself just like in English to show a change in degree. We do this by adding er to the end of the word to form what is called the comparative. Let's take slow as an example. Slow plus er, slower. A cat is slower than a cheetah, a snail is slower than a cat. Now in Latin, Romans express the same idea of comparison by adding the syllable ior, I-O-R. At the end of exter, this gives us exterior, or to sound a little more English, exterior. A little while back, I talked about the Latin word super and told you to remember it. Here's where it comes into play again. We've established that this word and its German counterpart mean above, and in a figurative sense, superior. Does that I-O-R at the end sound familiar? Superior itself is the comparative of super, thus meaning on the one hand higher, but also, well, superior. It seems that we as humans just can't get away from this idea that something up above us, higher in elevation, is morally better or of higher quality. See, I can't help myself. Right, back to exterior in Latin grammar. You can go a little higher than just the comparative. As we were taught in uh, grammar in our high school classes, when you're comparing two things, you use the er form, slower. One thing is slower than another. But if there are three, and you want to show that one's above all, the other two above all the rest, you add est to the end. So while a cat is slower than a cheetah, a snail is the slowest of them all. If you want to do the same thing to the adjective exter in Latin, it transformed into extremus, which meant something like the most outside, or occurring at the edge, the end, the tip, the limit. This extremus, after passing through French first, became the English word extreme. And just to note, one of its original extended meanings was the outer limits of life, as in the end period of life. So far we've seen this word extra jump through a lot of hoops, transforming, switching grammatical categories, changing meanings from outside to outside of, to amazing, remarkable, bizarre, strange, unknown, foreign. But the story gets even stranger and more interesting if we look deeper into the origins of extra. Remember it comes from the Latin adjective exter, but where did this word come from? I mentioned the comparative earlier, remember slow, slower, exter, exterior. As it turns out, this word exter is itself the comparative form of another Latin word, ex, like ex. And that was a preposition meaning from or out. Okay, have I lost you yet? I'm not even sure where we are now. Okay, so ex, a preposition, turned into an adjective, exter, which became a preposition, extra or 
exterior, then gave us a noun in English. But then this extra glued itself onto ordinary before it was chopped off again in the 1700s, leaving us with another adjective, but one that had changed its meaning from amazing, superior, above normal. In short, extra. Now this strange process isn't as unusual or as uncommon as it originally might seem. So let's take a English example, just straight English. The word beneath went through a convoluted process similar to that of the Latin word. From the time the language existed, English had this preposition be, bi, and it's where we get the word by from, just by. And it meant about the same thing. When you added it to the beginning of another word, it just became b, be. So what English speakers did, back in the old English period, was put it at the front of the word neodan, and that itself came from the word nithera, meaning underneath or below. It's where we get the modern word nether. So, right, b plus neodan, beneodan, or beneath, another preposition. So here, an adjective combined with another adjective and gave us a preposition, or rather, preposition combined with an adjective and gave us a preposition. And so these things sort of just continually recycle. And what tends to happen is that a word sort of weakens with use. It loses its oomph, its impact. And so more words need to be employed to retain the same meaning, which could explain the process we've just seen with Latin and with Old English. One more example, up, originally meant just that, but also on or above in general. It was a very loose preposition. Already in Old English, this word weakened, and so speakers felt the need to add on onto the end, giving us a pawn. But hold on, there's a pawn, and then there's up on. A configuration that is a little more modern, but the same process is up just doesn't cut it. It's up on something. There's a man standing on the hill, up on the hill. If that's not enough, we can even get away with up on top of. Think of the differences, for example, between in, inside, inside of, and on the inside of. We can just keep tacking prepositions onto noun followed by preposition until the entire phrase becomes one big preposition. But the thing is, speakers of the languages don't realize where they came from. So, for example, before I told you about beneodan, you just thought beneath meant beneath. There's no place you can cut that any smaller to find the constituent parts, or at least seemingly. It just means what it means, and that's sort of the same process I'm getting at here is in plus side, inside. It just means exactly what it means. It's the smallest unit of meaning in our language. But when you go back and start looking at where these came from, you realize that it wasn't always the case. And so what for us is the quickest and the smallest unit to describe something back in the day, a thousand years ago perhaps, was actually three words, maybe two or three words, and it was a complex construction. And that's what happens to words. And that's why etymology is interesting. As you can see how these entire phrases can become one or two syllable words. My favorite being the word lowered in English, for example. L-O-R-D. Came from Old English chlaf, which meant loaf or bread. And weordan, which means warden. So it was chlaf weordan. Which, so something like keeper of the bread or guardian of the bread. The idea being that in society at the time, the Lord was the one who fed you. So from, what is that, three or four syllables, hlaf, we, or, dan, four, we get Lord, 
a single syllable, four sounds. Well, that's it for the first Etymological Podcast. Thanks for listening, and of course, if you enjoyed it, spread the word, tell your friends, or even let me know what you might like to hear in the future.